The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world, homering on its birthday. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. And while we are not yet 31 years old, we would go yard if we were. Dangerously close to 31, I gotta say. Not that close, but a lot closer than I was when I first started thinking about Bryce Harper all those years ago, Jake as we saw Bryce have yet another incredible October moment in Game 1 of the NLCS against the Arizona Diamondbacks. We are going to begin with that because you are in Philadelphia, and that is a game that you just watched with your uh, two actual eyes. Very exciting stuff. Then in the second half, we will recap ALCS Game 2. The Rangers are up 2-0. Spoiler alert. And then at the end, we will say a congratulations to Trevor May on his retirement and also on a rant for the ages, uh, one of the great moments in Twitch baseball history. Jordan, one correction. I did not watch, uh, believe it or not, I did not watch this Phillies game with my two eyes. Okay. Um, I always I always watch baseball game with all three of my eyes because my third eye is always open, mm. baby. That's good. Make sure, That's good. Make, make sure what? you subscribe to the show wherever you get your <laughs> podcasts. You can email us at Baseballbarbacast at gmail.com, B-A-R-B cast. Those are all the housekeeping notes. We go daily now because it's oh. October and we don't play. You know who did play? The Diamondbacks, the Phillies, NLCS, game one, two Zacks, the Zach off. We're just a couple of Zach off bloggers and podcasters. To um, a couple of Zakoff pitchers, uh, as we saw, a, uh, this was a a fantastic uh, pitching matchup. And while the pitching lines, if you jump to the end, like generally delivered a, a solid postseason showdown, it sure didn't feel like it. Thirty seconds into the bottom of the first inning, uh, Zach Wheeler looks great in the top of the first, and then here we go. It's time for the Phillies offensive explosion. To continue, what happens less than 30 seconds? What am I saying? 0.5 seconds into the bottom of the first inning. What happens? Instantaneous euphoria on the very first pitch thrown by local product Zach Gallen. Kyle Schwarber incinerates a baseball, lacing it 117.1 miles an hour off the bat, off the facade of the right field second deck, uh, the one of those miniature scoreboards that hangs down. Immediate. It was immediate. It was unbelievable. Like, it, it felt like a script, how quick it <laughs> happened. We always talk about homers that are hit before the score bug on the broadcast can pop down. We got that last night, which was phenomenal and very rare for a postseason game. We had certain members of the team being like, I wasn't in even in my seat yet, but I still saw it, right? Everyone wants to say that they saw it. 
it was great. It was an explosion of epic proportions right off the jump. And we had not seen Schwarber homer yet in this postseason. I know the Phillies have been launching home runs left and right, but it has been a lot of Bryce. It has been a lot of Nick Castellanos. We've seen Real Muto, even Brandon Marsh getting in on the action. But Schwarber at times has looked kind of out of sorts um, over these first few rounds. He has not looked quite as uh, as intimidating. At the same time, like that's kind of the Kyle Schwarber experience. We see this during the regular season too where he hits 150 over the course of a few weeks, striking out 40% of the time. And then he just goes on a heater and it's uh, impossible to stop him. So maybe this is the beginning of one of those again. Uh, but even if it was a singular moment and he's about to go cold again, he provided Citizens Bank Park with yet another incredible moment. It was the fourth hardest hit ball of his career and the hardest hit ball of his entire season. To date, Kyle Schwarber tweeted this out, but Kyle Schwerber, when he puts the first pitch of the game in play, he is 10 for 13 this year with five homers, <laughs> three doubles and three singles. Uh, the other first pitch he swung at was, I think, game one against Strider in Atlanta. He swung at the very first pitch of the game and almost hit one out, hit a double off the wall. I don't think he ended up scoring, but when he swings at the first pitch, you got to be ready. And I asked a bunch of Phillies after the game, and they were like, yeah, like we know that when Schwarber's up, you have to be watching the first pitch because he might do something like that. Mm -hmm. Now, he also whiffs sometimes, but again, it's it's worth it. It is clearly everything about the Schwarber leadoff experience is very much a calculated risk that has paid off over and over. And on the topic of the exit velocity, this is just something, a point that I like to Make sure we make very clear whenever you see a ball hit this hard. There's just a very few number of people on the planet that can hit baseballs this hard. And so when it happens, yeah. and once you're over 115, 116, 117, you're getting into that range. There are a lot of major leaguers who can hit a ball 110. Um, every Basically, every single one can hit it 100. But every time you go up, you are shrinking that circle even smaller. Once you're at 117, it is just a mere, mere, mere handful. Now, we have seen Schwarber do it before. We've seen him do it in the postseason before. But it was just a reminder of his sheer strength. And honestly, I am still surprised that people throw uh, fastballs first pitch, throw a changeup. Like, it, it is still surprising to me. Of all the people you would think would maybe know, hey, maybe we go changeup away first pitch. I would have assumed it was Zach Gallen, but I also understand there's some stubbornness there. Zach Gallen, obviously was not trying to throw the first pitch of the game down the middle. He was trying to sure. set up, I believe, on the outer half. He missed his spot. He yanked his fastball, which he did a couple times last night. And that was that. And Schwarber took care of it. Trey Turner lines out. Next batter. And then Bryce Harper, the birthday boy, turning 31, playing on his big day for the first time in his entire career. First pitch himself. Deep. Gone. 2-0. Yeah, I mean, literally the same mistake pitch that he had thrown to Schwarber 30 seconds earlier. This one also goes 420 feet to right center field, an absolute no-doubter. Uh, he rounds third base. He blows out his own birthday candles, kind of mimicking the number 31 with his fingers. Everything about Bryce Harper is <laughs> a good tweet that was basically just like, he is what you think an American baseball player is in an anime. That is true. Bryce Harper is not... He is not real. When people say he is not real, this is really what it, it seems. Everything seems scripted. Everything seems perfect. But also it is genuine. It is a real thing. And he had a funny quote after the game where he was 
people asking like, what, what about the celebration? He was like, yeah, I, I just do things sometimes. Like I just came up with it, you know, when I was rounding third, which part of, I, you know, I roll my eyes at that sometimes, but like, it's just so <laughs> like when they showed it on the broadcast, I'm actually curious when you noticed the candle celebration. Um, because when they showed the slow-mo on the broadcast afterwards, I was just like, oh my God, this, this guy right here, man, <laughs> this guy right here. So for Harper, asking him how and why he does things feels like a pointless endeavor. He does them because he is it. Like he is this, he is this. <laughs> right. He did not have to build him into this. He is not consciously thinking about being this, whether it's the charisma or the performance, it is not intentional. Like he just, this is his natural state of being. Mm -hmm. And we saw that last year when he hit the home run against the Padres and barely smiled rounding the bases. And it's an amazing juxtaposition to the Phillies dugout. Because the Phillies dugout, when there is a home run hit, they react as if they have never seen a home run before in their lives, that they had never even considered the possibility of a baseball leaving the field of play in that direction. There are mouths agape. There is genuine shock and awe. And it reminds me of this spring when my 9U Little League team, one of our kids hit a ball over the fence for the very first time in like the fourth inning. And the kids were so surprised that they basically met him halfway down the third baseline because they didn't know what to do. They had never <laughs> thought a home run could happen. But so that's the Phillies, the Phillies dugout is that. And then Bryce Harper is a home run machine who, for whom this is all inevitable. And it's right. just an incredible juxtaposition. But also, I, I, of course, there's the contrast between Harper in the dugout but it's also funny because this Phillies team, I believe, has hit more homers in the last three games, or like it's tied for an MLB record for most homers over a three-game postseason span. So, and in this case, they had literally just seen one with Kyle Schwarber uh, 30 seconds earlier. So I totally agree with you. It's great. Quickly on Bryce before we kind of move on with the rest of this game, I wrote about him just kind of as a, as a sidebar at Fox this morning. And it's not like, yes, the, the birthday thing is something I'd thought about for a long time. You know, is he would always get eliminated. He got eliminated four times in the NLDS with the Washington Nationals. He gets a five-year hiatus from the postseason before returning last year. Last year, they are still alive on his birthday, but it's the off day before the NLCS. And now here we have him finally playing on his birthday. But the stat that really, really got me last night, um, and Sarah Langs was on fire, as she always is, um, the Phillies are now 9-0 when Bryce Harper homers in the postseason. Uh, this is 10 straight games that Harper has homered in a victory in the postseason, stretching back to his final game uh, with the Nats. That is tied with the major league record with Carlos Correa and Bernie Williams. And that is, I know sometimes you get stats, it's like, oh, this player does well in victories and this player, but like, think about that. They, they, there's a lot of often amazing postseason moments that are lost to history because the rest of your team fucks up. And in this case, that has literally never been true for Bryce Harper with the Phillies. And that is so cool. And uh, and last night was was just another one of those. Now, it felt like after he hits that home run that they're going to win 55 to nothing. And that was not the case. Quickly, one more Bryce Harper birthday thing. Let's take you inside the locker room, a place that I am still permitted in. What? I was told I was told I by someone with eight followers that your credentials should be taken away. I know. That's what I saw, too. Um, 
I asked a bunch of the Phillies if they got Bryce a birthday present. And I don't know if, I don't think teammates get one another birthday presents that doesn't feel like a thing. You and I sometimes get one another birthday presents and we sometimes don't. If we remember or see something fun, we will. Uh, And when I asked around, most of them just laughed because the notion that Bryce Harper would need anything from them is funny. I asked Trey Turner, he was like, what would I get him? Like, I have children to take care of. I'm not, he has enough free stuff. I asked Jeff Hoffman. Jeff Hoffman was like, I'm not getting him anything. But it would be funny if I got him like a $20 Amazon gift card. And I, Jeff Hoffman and I went back and forth for a while, like, just thinking about the funniest $20 gift card you could get Bryce Harper for his Mm. birthday as a teammate. Like, genuinely. Like, if you just, like, left it in his locker. Mm. You're like, Mm -hmm. hey, man, this is for Sunoco. Just fill her up. Yeah, I was going to say, like, something that is both practical, but also would kind of put Bryce in a unique position to have to use it. Because I think if you gave him an Amazon gift card, like, him or his wife would probably use that. Like, as rich as these baseball players are, I am confident they are still using Amazon to get stuff for sure. Uh, But there's probably some funnier answers. I agree with that. It does feel like gift giving in the baseball space is often more in like a thank you for a, hey, you made an amazing catch in my no hitter. Oh, hey, you called a great game. You know, in my first career win, I'm going to buy you some tequila or I'm going to get you a watch. Like, that's normally how it works. Right. I wanted your number and you gave it to me. So Mm. here's a house. (laughs) Right. Or like, I, yeah, I just signed with this new team for hundreds of millions of dollars and I want to endear myself to my new teammates. So here's Mm. headphones for every person on the major league spring training roster. So it's just feel like, like birthdays. They don't really yeah, do birthdays, birthdays. It's not these. I don't know if these players, there's no way these players are even keeping track of each other's birthdays. So now this one though, of course, was one everybody was well aware of. Uh, as it, I would say, this might be, Bryce Harper's birthday might be one of the first birthdays I knew. Like as like yeah. a baseball birthday. Like that was one for sure. That definitely has been in my head for years. You knew Bryce Harper's birthday before you knew my birthday. Almost certainly. I think that is true. I think that is an accurate statement. All right, let's move on with the rest of this game, Jake. There was still more baseball played after this. I will speed run it. Nick Castellano solo shot in the bottom of the second, going opposite field. A pretty good pitch from Zach Gallon, and Castellanos is otherworldly locked in right now. So he has, what is it, five homers in his last three games, two games? Five in his last three. Five in his last three, which I think is tied with Reggie Jackson for the most uh, in a three-game span in postseason history. The thing I was reminded about with Castellanos, and he's there's a lot to discuss with Castellanos, but the thing I was reminded about is thinking back to his postseason last year, he was horrible. He had like a 400 OPS in the postseason last year. He had some of those amazing defensive plays, which was part of his story, but also made up for the fact that he was disastrous at the plate, and that is very much not the case this year. As you mentioned, he is as locked in as we've ever seen him. And while his homer in this case, again, did not exactly swing the win probability that much, it did turn out to be an important one as the D-backs came back a little bit later. So the Phillies go up three early, tack on another in the fourth to make it four to zero. And then the game kind of enters a bit of a lull. Zach Gallen done after five. And then in the top of the sixth, the Diamondbacks strike. The snakes pounce. I guess snakes don't really, don't really pounce. Uh, Zach Wheeler had been phenomenal all game long. 
Corbin Carroll led the game off with like a bloop broken bat double. And then Wheeler retired 15 consecutive Diamondbacks leading into the sixth inning. In the sixth, an Evan Longoria single in the eight hole. And then a Geraldo Perdomo two-run bomb in the nine hole. Puts the Diamondbacks on the board. Makes it five to two. They scratch another run across in the seventh off of Sir Anthony Dominguez after Dominguez uh, biffs a ground ball back to him and throws it into center field. And it's five to three. And when it's five to three, I it was the most lopsided five to three baseball game ever. Mm-hmm. Usually when the game gets that close, when I'm writing about the game, I will at least start writing a different story just in case. Right. I did not do that. And maybe that is because the Phillies offense was liable to explode again or the Phillies bullpen has been great or the Phillies have just won in this place so many times over the last two years that it feels inevitable. But it was the most lopsided five to three baseball game of all time. Craig Kimbrell comes in for the ninth, gets a strikeout, walks a guy because, you know, that's just how we do and then gets a double play to end the game. Phillies win five to three. Yeah, and I think the the real takeaways uh, from here, and there was some shakiness with Dominguez, as you mentioned, with Kimbrell. The Phillies offense kind of went to sleep after the first half of the game, which was especially impressive because the D-backs did not use their A relievers. We're going to talk about ALCS uh, game two here in a little bit, where the Astros almost emptied the bullpen and lost. The D-backs were able to kind of use their second-tier relievers and stay in it. Now, they still a loss is a loss, but they didn't have to expend, you know, Ginkle, or we didn't see Saul Frank, we didn't see Seawald, which is important not just because you want to keep them fresh, but also you don't want your guys to see them. And so if there's, in these short series, the amount that you can kind of keep your relievers hidden is, I think, a big deal. And the D-backs were able to do that while also at least keeping it competitive, which was good. We see the Phillies, they use Alvarado, they use Dominguez, they use Kimbrel. Maybe that comes back and, and they can hit all, I mean, Alvarado is, is amazing and if, you know, Brian Abreu, I do believe, is the best reliever left in this postseason, I think I would pick Alvarado second, um, which is funny because neither of those guys are closing, but that is baseball in 2023. Uh, and so, you know, he's very impressive, but the more that the D-backs see those guys, maybe maybe they can start to put some good swings on them as, as, the, as the series goes on. Because again, in these longer series, you might see these guys three, four times. A couple other quick takeaways, specific to the running game. There was a lot made about how the Diamondbacks are going to push the issue on the bases and stifle the Phillies running game. Last series, the Phillies ran all over Atlanta. They took a ton of advantage of it. They stole like eight bases, I think it was, in the short series. Mm-hmm. Uh, no steals last night from either side. Corbin Carroll led the game off with a single and was on first base for three batters and did not attempt to run. Mm-hmm. And that has something to do with JT Realmuto being a deterrent. It also had a lot to do with Zach Wheeler mixing up his timing. And I explained this the other day, how as a pitcher, changing the amount of time that you are coming set for is a really effective way to keep runners from stealing. Mm -hmm. On the other end of things, yes, the Phillies just kept homering. And so steals were less important. But Gabby Moreno, even though he was shaky from a receiving perspective yesterday and had a throwing error down the first baseline, they did not attempt to run on him the Phillies are well aware how special he is at throwing runners out. Yeah, and I think too, uh, you mentioned Wheeler. I, I'm sure part of what you know Moreno has succeeded, like I, I'm quite confident that the D-backs are probably pretty good 
on the mound at, at being prepared in this respect too. Now, again, if you're going to keep giving up home runs, it's not going to matter as much. There weren't that many obvious opportunities in last night's game for either team to run. Still definitely something I'm going to be uh, intrigued about moving forward, but it, it did not come into a play in game one. And then the last thing, you know, uh, there were two jack-off podcasters in attendance, Travis and Jason Kelsey. Jason, <laughs> a Philadelphia Eagles mm-hmm. football man. Travis, you may have heard of him before. Mm-hmm. He's probably like the most famous athlete in America right now, which is hilarious <laughs> to think about. They yeah. were at the game, uh, shown on the big screen. I have no other notes. I I think that if they were at a game where the Phillies clinched, they would let them into the clubhouse to party. That is yes. The one well, we saw right. We saw an Eagles player or former Eagles player in the clubhouse. Oh, I guess you weren't in the clubhouse for the last one. Um, is Fletcher Cox a current Eagle? player i know you why am i asking you but there that is someone uh yeah no he is this is someone that is on the eagles and he was in the he was in the clubhouse celebration last round so there is precedent there i agree with you um although I, everything involving the kelseys at this point is obvious going to be very carefully guarded so we will see but it's cool to see listen i'm in favor of any fit like we had Embiid and tyrese maxi at the game last round too like great more, it's not just a Philly thing. I just want more non-baseball people at baseball games. Very simple. Right. No downside whatsoever. Spitting it ahead to game two tonight. Merrill Kelly for the Arizona Snakebacks against Aranola for the Phillies. Aranola is a free agent at the end of the year. Every time he does anything, he gets a thousand questions about if he's thought about this being maybe his last year in Philly. And every time he says, no, I'm focusing on the moment. I don't think he will feel that again tonight. He's very cold-blooded. He is a slow heartbeat. I think Kelly will be pretty good tonight. I think the key for him is to not throw the ball down the middle in the first <laughs> inning. Let's get through the first. Can we get through the first yeah. inning and just have it be 0-0 and then proceed with the normal baseball game? I know the D-backs were the ones, you know, punching the Dodgers in the mouth last round. And in theory, they have the opportunity to do that in this game as they did last night. So maybe they can jump on Nola. Yeah. I do like that matchup a little bit more. Then Wheeler, maybe we can see um, some more, another homer from someone that's not the nine hitter, credit to Ronaldo Perdomo. So again, I think what happened in game one, like the D-backs were in it. I agree with you. It didn't feel like that they were that all that close because of how the game began and because of how, you know, the Phillies pitching was, but they're right there. They, they didn't, they certainly didn't roll over in the way that Atlanta did <laughs> in some of these games. Like they were clearly uh, uh, in it, and and they just but they're gonna have they're gonna have to hit better too because that the offense that it was so was so impressive over these those first few games in the playoffs just didn't really show up in, in the middle of that order. All right, Jordan, let's take a break of that Kit Kat bar, and when we come back, we will talk about the American League semifinal, Astros Rangers game two. Hey everyone, producer Chris here with a quick housekeeping note about our merch. Look, in Australia, we love clothes and almost always wear them. If you're like us and also enjoy dabbling in clothes wearing, then why not consider some official Baseball Barbercast merchandise? Whether it's a jumper you're after, which you would call a sweatshirt, a cap, which we would call an old hair hugger, or a shirt, which we would call a belly wrap, we have it all for you. But that's not all. Do you also like to drink water or caffeinated beverages? Well, that's great because we have mugs and bottles to help you quench your thirst too. To buy any of this merch, go to podswag.com slash baseball. The link is in the description of the podcast. And don't leave yourself clothesless this And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jose Altuve. I mean, Jordan Schusterman. 
Sorry, I thought that's where Altuve was considering he has yet to show up on the field in this postseason. Rangers, Astros, the Texas Bowl, ALCS game two. I was busy on the field before the game picking up info in Philadelphia. You were more locked into this. Can you hold my hand and take me through this one? I will take you through this one, although I will say, you know, this was the, I guess, late afternoon game and... (laughs) There is just such a shitty feeling when... Now, the game redeemed itself, but focus on the beginning. There is just such a shitty feeling when the game you've been looking forward to all day appears to be over 30 seconds into it. It just it just sucks. Because you're waiting for... And you didn't have to wait until 8 o'clock. Like, it was only 4.30 Eastern. But, you know, you show up and you're like, oh, here we go. Like, how are the Astros going to respond? And immediately... The Rangers are at 3-0. Framber Valdez does not look great. We got a throwing error. Suddenly it's 4-0. And it's just like, holy shit, look at these Rangers go. This is could also be a runaway victory. I was going to say, you that feeling of this game sucks immediately. Imagine how Zach Gallen and Framber Valdez <laughs> felt. I know, I know, I know. But but it was especially just the way that the Rangers have been playing and and kind of the way that that Houston looked in game one. Like it was just it's just like, man, like this is just not happening for Houston. Nobody feels bad for them whatsoever, which is fine. Although as, as you know, from Rivaldez being my favorite Astro, that was definitely a, a disappointing showing from him, especially after how he looked in his first postseason outing. Uh, but okay, so it's 4 nothing, just boom, off the rip. It's like, okay, here we go. The Rangers are going to score 50 runs and the Astros don't know how to hit a home. So this game uh, might just be over. Uh, Eovaldi goes to work just immediately. Are we going to see Eovaldi do this again? And it sure seemed that way uh, through the very early stages of the game. We have to mention the moment in the second inning when Adolis Garcia gets hit by a pitch and cartwheels towards first base. Just one of the goofiest things I've ever seen in a baseball game. Uh, Jake's like, what are you talking about? I totally missed that. That is outrageous. Do you not? Oh, you didn't see the cartwheel? You didn't see the Adolis Garcia cartwheel? It's like he got hit and then started walking to first and then did a cartwheel or he was like trying to get out of the way <laughs> okay. of the ball. Okay, um, this is very funny that you didn't see this. It's fine. I'm not, I'm not like, this makes sense. Like when this happened in the second inning would have been exactly when you did not see it. So I'm going to send you the clip right now um, and you can review it. All right, we're, we're going to we're gonna send it to you uh, because this was a, a very weird, I, I guess uh, Fromber kind of came up and in and he got hit. And it was sort of like his dis. I don't know. It's hard to really describe why he did it. But what, why don't you give us a play-by-play now that you have uh, the clip in front of you? Uh, yeah. I mean, he got he got hit in the foot, and when you get hit in the feet or a ball comes at your feet, you kind of kick your feet back towards mm-hmm. the third base dugout as a right-handed hitter, and that means your top half is leaning forward, going and down. At that point, going down. And at that point, there's nothing to do but cartwheel. So what I was envisioning when you described this was the one of my favorite moments in baseball history, which is when and I know, you know, exactly what I'm talking about, which is when a Chapman, young Aroldis Chapman on the Reds collected a save and inexplicably somersaulted twice towards twice. the catcher. Twice. Like did a somersault and then rolled again as like a save celebration. And everyone on the team was like, don't do that. Like that was stupid. That's what I thought this was. I thought he got hit and then like halfway down the line just started doing gymnastics. Uh, do you remember who uh, Chapman's manager was when that happened? Brian Price. Dusty Baker. 
It was that long ago. And Dusty was like, yeah, we're not, that's not, we, we, we're not doing that. <laughs> Which is so funny. I just imagine like Dusty's managing this, this series and like all, every time Chapman, we're going to get to Chapman in a bit, in a bit here. He's like, that's the motherfucking guy that somersaulted after uh, a save against like the Pirates Man. or something. Anyway, if you've never seen that clip before, it is one of the more surreal moments in baseball history. This one was a little bit less weird because as you mentioned, it is kind of a physical sequence that does happen, even if you don't get hit, ball low and in, you kind of have to move your feet out of the way. Uh, but in this case, you know, credit to Adolis Garcia for making it even more entertaining than it needed to be. The game rolls on, bottom of the second, everyone's wondering about Jordan Alvarez. There's reports before the game, oh, is he so, he's so ill, he had a stomach virus, he wasn't doing so well, that's why he struggled in game one. That all turned out to be true because he was illin in game two. He was illin. As uh, Nathan Eovaldi, again, are you trying to throw it down the middle of the Jordan Alvarez? Maybe. I don't know. But he decides to absolutely launch this one, uh, 420 feet, 109 off the bat. And it was like, yep, okay. Now it's still 4-1, to just 4-1. to So Rangers are still in control. Nasty Nate goes back to work. He keeps things going. Jonah Heim adds on. It's 5-1 to one in the top of the third. Heim, what a season for that guy. They knock out Fromber in the third inning. So at this point, it's like, okay, well, the Astros' bullpen is amazing, but the Rangers' offense is amazing too, and how are we, how are we keeping this game close if Fromber is out uh, and can't even finish the third inning? But the game rolls on. Not a whole lot goes on until the fourth when Alex Bregman uh, sends one out uh, to off the foul pole and makes it 5-2. to two. We go to the fifth, the bottom of the fifth. And this really was the key moment of the game, as we know. We've got key, key moment of the game. Of the game. Michael Brantley, single. Chaz McCormick, single. Jeremy Pena reaches on an error. Eh, was it an error? He's charging in on it. He, he misses the scoop. And now it is bases loaded. Nobody out with Martin Maldonado coming to the plate. Basically the same situation we had in game one, I don't remember if it was zero outs, but in, in game one, uh, I think, oh, yes, it was with two outs in game one. Game one was with two outs, but Maldonado came to the plate with the bases loaded, and he struck out. In this case, he comes to the plate with the bases loaded with nobody out, and they decide, oh, wait, we're one of the worst hitters in baseball. We should do something about this. Let's bring in Yiner Diaz, our backup catcher, but also one of the best hitters on the team this season. Nasty Nate does not care. Diaz strikes out. Altuve strikes out. Bregman grounds out. No runs for the Astros. Dusty Baker going to Yiner Diaz there was a good sign of growth because you cannot let Martin Maldonado hit in that spot. And I understand that Yiner struck out. That's That happened. But it was the right process. You know what George Bush said once, Jordan? What did he say? You know, there's an old saying in Tennessee... I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. Fool me, you can't get fooled again. Can't get fooled again. But Nady Evaldi fooled Yiner Diaz uh, in this spot, and that was not the outcome the Astros were looking for because the game remains 5-2. to two. We move on to the bottom of the sixth. Astros making noise again. Evaldi's still in the game. Brantley with an RBI double makes it 5-3. to three. We go to the seventh. Again, this is we're just getting a parade of Astros relievers. They're keeping the game close. We got Phil Maytom. We got JP France coming in. Bottom of the seventh, Josh Spores comes in, gives a one, two, three inning. He has been 
Marvelous Brian Abreu, the best reliever on earth. He comes in, gives a one, two, three inning. And we're building towards the moment we had in game one once again when Araldus Chapman is warming up for the eighth inning. Gymnastics icon Araldus Chapman somersaults his way into the ballgame. <laughs> he sure does. And uh, at this point, uh, Alex Bregman is the leadoff hitter in the eighth inning. And Alex Bregman swings at the first pitch. Cannot now, do Jake, that. Jake, I know that, as we just talked about shortly, there are times when swinging at the first pitch is awesome. And this pitch was, to Bregman's credit, right down the middle. However, for the guy who is more liable to lose his command in epic fashion than literally any other pitcher left in this postseason, to swing at the first pitch sure was a choice. Especially, you know, down by two when let's try to get a base runner here. Uh, what are we doing? Kyle Tucker grounds out. It's two outs. Oh, Chapman, here we go. And and, and to be fair, like in that at-bat, it sure looked like he kind of had it. But here comes Jordan, the matchup where in game one, we got a very measly ground out that was not as exciting as what you had described coming into the series. Jordan was like, don't worry, bro. I got you. I know you wanted some fireworks in this showdown. Well, I got you. First pitch slider on the outer half. Not a bad pitch to 99.9999999% of hitters. Unfortunately for Mr. Chapman, Jordan Alvarez is the 0.00001% of hitters. Jordan extends his arms. He yanks the ball 111 miles an hour <laughs> over the right field fence for one of the more stunning home runs I've ever seen aesthetically. Uh, but that's Jordan. It looks like a perfect pitch on game day. On the on the box, on the broadcast too. But it's not necessarily the case. It is sneaky, easier to hit than that might appear. Again, I understand it is a left-on-left slider from a major leaguer. I'm not saying I could do it, okay? But the dot on game day is where it crosses the front of the plate. Whereas the contact point for that pitch is further up towards the pitcher. And therefore the contact point is further in towards a left-handed hitter. Mm-hmm. And so it's actually not on the black away when Jordan's making contact with it, especially because Chapman is a lefty and it's coming from that at that angle. He's it looks insane because it looks like he's scooping basically swinging in, in the you know third base batter's box or third base uh, coach's box in the dugout <laughs> and scooping it over the wall. But it it is more of a hittable pitch than you might think. Especially for him, right? And for the Rangers to, I mean, publicly declare after game one when Jordan Montgomery pitched perfectly, basically. Like, yeah, we don't want him to get extended. We, we busted him inside and Montgomery had the command to do that. And then that, that that's not what they did with this pitch. And, and you could see Heim's reaction too. Like, what the fuck? Like, I don't know if that was him being like, why did I call that? I don't know if that was him being what a freak. Like, there's a lot of layers to it. Uh, but ultimately... We had that moment and, you know, Chapman, as he's come into these games already this postseason in the past, like every single time you're just like, what, like, what the fuck? Like, I can't believe like Bruce Bochy has never been more committed to this bit ever. Uh, but also you can understand it because again, when it's, when it's working, it is, he is still one of the best relievers on earth undeniably, but I do love that Chapman has now allowed, this is, is only the fourth home run that he has allowed in the postseason, but the other three as uh, this is credit to, to James Smythe, who, who, who quotes me this last night. Yeah. 
It's the Altuve walk-off mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the 2019 yep. ALCS to yep. end the series. Yep. It's the Rajai Davis home mm-hmm. run. Mm-hmm. And it's... What am I missing? This other one, I mean, it, this one would rank third of those, but it is one of the most memorable home runs of the last 10 years. And it's okay if you forget it. Go I'll give you three three more seconds to, to remember it. Three, two, one. Mike Brasso, 2020. Right. ALDS. That was individually then at bat, which was, I think, whatever, 10, 9, 10 pitches. If you go back and watch like that one, which is basically what ultimately sank the Yankee season in 2020, uh, yeah. And so now this, now this one, the Rangers end up winning, right? Does not end their season in epic fashion. Um, and obviously the Roger Davis one, the, the Cubs end up winning too, but still this one, while it ranks th- fourth, aesthetically, I will remember that swing and where it went yeah. and how f- hard it came off the bat for a very long time. Ninth inning, Jose Leclerc comes in. Well, Leclerc comes I in the eighth. But again, the that's the other thing. Because after right. that, you know, it's 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 so funny how you know clearly Bochi trusts Chapman, and then it's like, oh, just just kidding. No, we still got to go Leclerc to finish the eighth. <laughs> and Leclerc goes walk walk uh, in the in the, the in the ninth. Yeah, so in the ninth, so he comes in. He he gets out of uh, he gets out of the eighth. Um, or, or no, oh, I apologize. You're right. He does go walk walk. Yeah, he, it was. You're, you're totally right. So he comes in with with you know with a one run lead needing to get one more out. And he walks Abreu and he walks Brantley. And at this point, you're thinking, okay, finally the Rangers bullpen, after being essentially flawless up until this point in his undefeated postseason, finally, 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 they are going to crack. Because not only are you like, how is he getting out of this inning? Now you're just wondering, how are you finishing the game? Right? Right. Who's coming in for the ninth at this point? Gets a grounder from Chaz McCormick to Josh Young, who... Scares every heart in Texas by bobbling it a little bit before touching third for the force out. Bottom of the ninth, Jeremy Pena hits one uh, quite deep to the wall in right field. Caught on the track by Adelise Garcia. Yiner Diaz ground out. Jose Altuve fly out to center. Rangers hang on 5-4, to four, take a 2-0 lead back home to Arlington. Yes, and Altuve with that fly out. Uh, 0 for 5, he is now hitless, is still in this series. I believe he's like 0 for his last 12 or 13. Part of me is like, oh my God, they need L2 to do something. Then I remember he was horrific for basically the entire postseason last year, and they won the World Series anyway. It is weird when you consider all those moments he's had and how consistent he's been in the past. He's one of the greatest postseason hitters ever. But at, at some point, you he's clearly you know harming Houston's ability uh, to get back into these games. It's not going to change anything. He's obviously going to keep hitting leadoff, but that's been super disappointing. A quick note on Jose Leclerc before we wrap this one up. Just just so cool. I mean, this Rangers team, this roster that they've assembled, credit to Chris Young and credit to everyone involved with that team and to bring in Bochi and to spend the money to bring in Seager, to bring in Semyon, like all the, all the ways that they've transformed this organization over these last few years. But there's very few guys that have been there in the organization for a long time. You know, technically you can look at a guy like Martin Perez who was there you know, signed back in 2006 or seven, but he was gone for three or four years in between there. He comes back, which is cool. And he, you know, with all due respect, is not, you know, having a strong impact on the series. But for Jose Leclerc, who signed with the Rangers in 2010 as a 16-year-old at the Dominican Republic to make it not just, you know, make to the big leagues, have his, his you know, strong success early in his career, be injured, two serious injuries, Tommy John, he's got shoulder trouble, to come back and be this good, 
it, he is he is this is all he knows, right? To 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 do this for this organization where he's been there longer than anybody, including basically anybody in the front office, let alone the coaching staff and the rest of his team, is really cool to see him at the center of it. He's he's very fun to watch. Game three will be on Wednesday. We will preview that tonight. Okay, yeah, I mean, pod. let's let's preview that tonight because uh, Max Scherzer's pitching, and that seems like a pretty big deal. Oh <laughs> but, shit, I didn't even know that. That's insane. okay. <laughs> uh, let's so talk about that. I, I, later, we have though. we have more thoughts there. We'll save that uh, tonight. We're going to record tonight uh, after Game Two of the NLCS. We'll recap that. We'll preview Javier versus Scherzer. So we'll move that aside. But Rangers, my goodness, stay undefeated in the postseason. So impressive. Now they get to go home where. You know, they could score a million runs. Houston, of course, better on the road. We'll see what happens there. All right, Jake, let's wrap up this podcast. Now, we're going to, obviously, at these episodes, we're going to keep things pretty postseason focused. However, we do have to acknowledge something that happened yesterday that was truly, truly uh, a, a moment in time that I think will, we'll, honestly, may, might be something that a lot of people are talking about for a long time as it relates to the Oakland Athletics. Why are we talking about the Oakland A's in the postseason, Jake? I don't know, dude. Uh, Trevor May, longtime MLB reliever and one of the more relatable people in the league for a multitude of reasons, announced his retirement yesterday on Twitch. Mm -hmm. Twitch, he is the perfect guy to do this. He is probably more famous as a Twitch streaming personality than he is as a baseball player. He has developed an enormous following on there, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and he's someone that I've, I've as someone who spends a lot of time consuming video game related content and and streaming related content. Like Trevor May's been doing this for a long time, and it's been really cool. And it's clearly something that he's prioritized in recent years, and is part of why he. Not it's not why he's retiring. He's he was very clear that he is not you know getting the same joy out of going into spring training every day, and he's happy with what he accomplished in his career. He pitched in the big leagues for nine years. He made some good money over the last few years, and. He's feeling good. There's a lot of other things he wants to pursue, not just on Twitch. I mean, he's hosting stuff on SiriusXM, right? That's a, a yeah. very real plug. He's done MLB Network Radio. Like, we saw him at the All-Star Game. He was there doing stuff like that. Like, this dude wants to talk ball, continue to be a part of the game. He has the perfect personality, platform, reach, all of that to do that. So I'm excited for all that in and of itself. That is very cool, and congrats to Trevor on retirement. Correct. However, one place he will not be commentating on baseball will be NBC Sports Bay Area for the Oakland Athletics. I would love to be wrong about that. It'd be quite a twist, but it does not seem like his comments yesterday will lead him in that direction. Correct. Because he emptied the clip on John Fisher, the owner of the Oakland Athletics. I'm paraphrasing here. Trevor was basically like, I loved my time with the athletics. I loved everyone in that organization except for one person. John Fisher, sell the team, called yes. him a greedy fuck. Yeah. There's, uh, it there's was an a incredible of... rant. I don't want to rehash it. Just go watch it. It's incredible. Totally. To see a player speak so bluntly about something that fans had been really stressed out and talking about for a long time was just very invigorating. He talked about how he felt bad that he couldn't talk about this during the season while he was on the team. That is real solidarity. He said he was going to buy a sell. He bought a sell shirt, but it just didn't get there in time. Yeah. So it was, it was a really interesting moment. And of course, something that got uh, plenty of attention as it deserved to, but it was just a reminder, not just of, you know, the, the Oakland situation, which is, which is upsetting and disappointing for, for the entire city, but just, just the spectrum of, of owners that we have in the game and I was just reminded of, of the, I'm sure you've seen the same 
uh, excerpt from the John Middleton interview over the past few weeks that has been resurfaced. Every time that the Phillies do something cool, they say, this is their owner. And we saw him after they've clinched these last few rounds. We see him in the crowd. He's doing everything. But these quotes that it just, it just, it just hits me. Every time I read this, I'm just like, wow, like this is how you do it. Just, just to quote John Middleton here. Okay. My goal is that we create a team a hundred years from now when people ask the question, what are the greatest teams in the history of baseball? The Phillies are in that conversation. How much money did the 27 Yankees make or the 29 A's or the big red machine? Does anybody know? Does anybody care? Nobody knows or cares whether any of them made money or not. If your ambition is to be good, you don't make those decisions to sign players like Trey Turner. If your ambition is to be great, you make those decisions. It's about desire, really. I just want to win. Now, to be clear, it's not that simple. We've seen other owners like Peter Seidler and Steve Cohen really want to win because they really want to be, if they love their team and they want to, it's, you have to also execute it well. You have to have the people to do that well. However, the ambition and the passion and the desire to build a winner is the first part. And clearly that is something that is lacking in Oakland and maybe in Vegas as well. Jake Mintz, we will end it here. Yes. Okay. Uh, thank you all for listening to this episode of Baseball Barbercast. You can email us at baseballbarbercast at gmail.com. That's B-A-R-B-Cast. Rate and review the podcast wherever you get it. Let us know what you think, what you're liking about these postseason episodes. The emails have been so kind, and we will be getting back to those very soon. Hopefully do a mailbag at some point during the postseason as well. As I mentioned, we will recap game two late tonight. That'll be up early on Wednesday morning, so you can look out for that. Uh, but until then, thank you, Jake. Enjoy game two. Enjoy the uh, Texas, the state of Texas. Can take a breather here on Tuesday with no ALCS matchup and uh, looking forward to game two as well. Uh, but until then, thank you, Chris, for producing. Chris Tyler is the best. We appreciate him so much. And we will be back on Wednesday with another episode of Baseball Barbicast. Happy birthday, Bryce. Serious XM Podcasts.